Welcome to the Bar Variations Podcast. Go behind the bar with me, your host, Michelle Duvall. As I interview leaders in the industry, we'll talk about how bar impacts their lives, what's inspiring them today, and take the conversations that usually stay in the studio out into the community. Grab a seat because there's plenty of room at the bar. Thinking about becoming a bar instructor? Or maybe you already are, but are interested in learning new teaching techniques. Bar Where You Are combines ballet form and grace with Pilates principles and functional fitness training to create a -a one-of-a-kind bar experience. Their unique class format and flow allows clients to get a fun and effective total body workout in every class. Their one-day, eight-hour course covers anatomy, musicality, transitions, how to provide modifications and corrections, and a breakdown of more than 100 different exercises, allowing all bar instructors to leave with a solid understanding of how to create and deliver a safe and effective class to all fitness levels. And because they are internationally accredited and require no licensing fees, our bar babes can teach anywhere they wish and truly make the class their own. You can find out more information on registering or hosting a training at your gym or studio by visiting www.barwhereyouaresc.com backslash become an instructor. And let's bar where you are. If you're a certified hashtag bar addict like I am, then you can definitely appreciate a bar-inspired graphic tank top or sweatshirt. Good news, for those of us who can't get enough, Bar Goods Co. will add an extra bit of fun to your workout with apparel designed for and inspired by the bar. And if you need that extra little bit of motivation to get yourself to class, then you'll be happy to know that they use only the softest fabrics available to help you express your love of bar to the world. Check out their go-to line of screen-printed goodies included workout tops, sweatshirts, and even infant onesies for bar addicts in training. And guess what? Listeners of the Bar Variations podcast can use the code VARIATIONS25 to take 25% off their first order. That's code VARIATIONS25 in all lowercase letters. Visit bargoods.com now to start shopping. Welcome to episode 17 of the Bar Variations podcast. In this episode, I will share my challenges and discoveries of sheltering in place with a newborn, nonetheless. Then I have an amazing interview with Lauren Lavelle, who talks money on it. It's a big one. And I know that may hit a hot spot right now in pandemic pandemonium, but now is always a good time to get a little uncomfortable and lean into the money talk. I do have a couple of upcoming events happening, and they are virtual, so no need to get dressed. First up, if you sign up for either the Bar Variations Teacher Training or Teaching Deconstructed Courses by May 31st, you're invited to join me for a free live stream Q&A. The live stream is an opportunity to ask questions, dig deeper into the material, get individual feedback, and address your specific needs to thrive as a teacher. Here are the dates for each course Q&A. The teacher training Q&A will happen June 13th from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the teaching deconstructed course Q&A will happen June 14th, 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, if you can't make it live, you will get the replay. And I'm inviting all past participants as well, since this is the first q and I'll be doing. I know we are all struggling for time these days with working from home, homeschooling, etc. 
which is why taking these trainings at a pace you can manage and still being able to have a human connection will make your learning journey even more personalized and fulfilling. Over the weekend of June 5th through 7th, I'll be presenting a talk about creating and cultivating an online community at a virtual conference for movement and wellness professionals called Brink. Brink is the creation of entrepreneurial health coach Jenna Safino. Originally a live event, Jenna pivoted the venue to the online space and invited a stellar group of speakers and educators to join her in offering inspiration, resources, and support for the brain, body, and business. I'll share the link in the show notes so you can learn more and bring with me. All right, so pandemic productivity. Before you turn off the podcast, I assure you, I'm not here to tell you how to maximize your time, crush all your goals, and come out as a raging rock star from this time. Now, if you're in a place to do so, heck yeah, go for it. But this pandemic has made all of us shift in a major way with about 24 hours notice. So I'll start with words I'm sick of hearing, but can't stop saying. Number one, shelter in place, quarantine, pandemic, and especially new normal. Ugh, so sick of it. I say it. We all say it. You're about to hear me say it many more times in this podcast. My biggest challenges on a personal level, not having my family hold my baby. It sucks. I hate it. And, you know, I get it. His immune system isn't ready for germs in general or even a possible COVID contact. Another challenge is not having my family or friends hold my baby while I maybe take a shower, write an email, feed myself, record this podcast. I'm very good at doing things with one hand these days. And, you know, my back does hurt. So there's that. And what are you going to do? It is what it is. And, I'll just say it, it sucks. But my biggest discoveries, here we go for the silver lining. You know I'm always positive, positive when I can be. You know, I can continue to look at things in a new way and choose to do things differently. This quarantine, there I said it, is making me look at my life and business in a whole new way for the better. I also discovered I can be doing way less and at the same time create so much more strange, right? Very weird. My time is still precious like yours. So choosing what's most essential to do has become even more essential. Shout out to Greg McKeown's Essentialism book. If you haven't read it, go read it. It's amazing. Essentialism, it's called. My needs have decreased and the things I have wanted and become or want to become is so much more meaningful and less successful oriented. So pandemic productivity is about meeting yourself exactly. And I mean exactly where you're at in the sucky moments and the good moments, all of them, whether it's total chaos or total boredom, then view how you want to be productive. It may mean cutting a lot of your to-do list out in order to do what's most essential, which some days for me is just cuddle my baby. Or it could mean take on that project you've always wanted to conquer. This is the time to put into practice all those self-improvement tools, the self-care strategies, and the meditation practices we've gathered through our life. And for each of us, that looks different and will be measured differently. Okay, so that brings me to last month's community question. From this time, I asked, 
what would you like to bring with you when things return to a new normal? You guessed it. <laughs> so here are some answers from listeners that wrote in. Alexis wrote saying, the clarity of where I see myself moving forward from here, the slower pace. Although I feel busier than ever, it's a good, it's in good and nourishing ways. Georgia said, calmer, more keyed into nature, keeping more in touch with people I love and care about. Workwise, loving the new online way of teaching, unsure of how to run the studio when the new normal returns, and I'm feeling that a lot of people are enjoying the online options. Natalie shared the connections I've made with clients from all over the place through online teaching, not just my own students. I've learned so much about live streaming and starting my own little business. I definitely like to keep going with some live and or pre-recorded classes for my website going forward. Now, I know we are all coming up with some new routines and new habits, etc. So for this month's community question, what Things have you been doing, not doing, reading, eating, etc., to support yourself during quarantine? I look forward to hearing from you and what you have to say. So share your answers with me via email at infobarvariations.com, join the BV VIP group on Facebook, or leave me a voice message via Anchor. I'll share all the links in the show notes and I look forward to hearing from you. Up next, I'm interviewing Lauren Lavelle, who is not only a beautiful bar babe, but a motivational coach who will be your new money guru. Stay tuned. Are you a bar addict, a social butterfly, or just getting started in bar fitness? Do you want to feel good and look good during your sweat session? If the answer is yes, you must visit fitforbar.com and shop their exclusive activewear and athleisure styles designed for your bar workout and beyond. From hats to bar socks and everything in between, each piece from this female-owned boutique has been bar-tested and approved from the best in the business. And with free domestic shipping, easy returns, and a buy-now-pay-later option, fitforbar.com provides an online shopping experience fit for a bar queen. So go ahead and treat yourself to some new apparel from fitforbar.com. You deserve it. Happy shopping. This podcast is sponsored by Point Studio. They are the best gripping socks for bar, yoga, dance, and basically all studio workouts. These socks are the next best thing to being barefoot. And listeners of the Bar Variations podcast get 15% off their order with the code BARVARIATIONS. That's code BARVARIATIONS. All one word to receive 15% off your next purchase at pointstudio.com. Listeners, I'm here today with Lauren Lavelle. Lauren is a motivational coach who is based in Philadelphia. She is a NASM certified personal trainer, a personal finance geek, and a meditation leader. Lauren works with clients in person and online to help them move their bodies, find their emotional zen, and tackle their personal money goals. Yes! Welcome, Lauren! Oh. Thank you for joining me. This is round two, just full disclosure to everybody. Lauren and I love to chat and I didn't record our last session. So we have to do it again, which is not terrible because I get to talk to Lauren again. <laughs> Thank you for coming, Lauren. It was, it was all just an excuse to set up a next, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
It was. And so I'm hoping my follow-up questions uh, can be a little bit more on point this time. So uh, we can go even deeper and pack even more in. Uh, but yeah, so Lauren's coming from Philadelphia. Big shout out to the hometown of my alma mater and also hometown to the best slash worst sex on the planet. And I'm going to go through the list because these warm my heart and also my belly. <laughs> so we got the good old Philly cheesesteak and it has to be with cheese whiz, onions and ketchup for me. Pat's on Gino's and Joe's if you really are in the know of being a Philadelphian. <laughs> Next up would be Tasty Cakes, better than Twinkies, Uds Potato Chips, Harrisburg, but you know it close enough, Philadelphia, it's all the same. And then Water Ice from Rita's, my loves. Go get some of these snacks. They are horrible, disgusting, amazing, fun. <laughs> Lauren, can you tell us what is your most favorite Philadelphia treat? It does not have to be junk food, but share yours. I mean, you know, it's Philadelphia. We got to keep warm and happy somehow. So, um, <laughs> but no, I definitely think a nice water ice and it doesn't have to be Rita's. Like I am, I've been known to stop and like buy water ice from the, the, the little boys at the park who are selling it. Just the yeah. dollar, the dollar a cup situation. That's my, that's my jam right there because you know, they're out there working. They're out there making an honest water ice living. <laughs> they are in true entrepreneurship. And that is not a joke in any way. But I, there's something about Philadelphia where, like, you can still find things for a dollar that are real good. You can still get beer for, like, under $3. And <laughs> I can remember, maybe it's changed. It's been a long time. But in college, it was the, uh, I think it was called? something, spe- it was, anyways, I think it was the, poor man special or something like that and it was a pbr and a shot of whiskey for like four dollars i'm like wow <laughs> that's my night out man <laughs> for calling we're done <laughs> and so i really love i mean i love philadelphia because not only is it home to my former university the university of the arts and there's so much arts and culture in philadelphia there's so much amazing food but it's also a really working class hustler city like workers I feel like when I think of Philadelphia I'm like everybody I know that's there is like a hard worker making things happen so I don't know if you feel the same because you are not a native Philadelphian but on the outside maybe looking in now that you are a Philadelphian yeah I feel I definitely can I get that you know, the mascot gritty was not a mistake. Um, <laughs> Philadelphia is gritty. They There's a bunch of people here that aren't native Philadelphians, but I think that something in, in the water in the Schuylkill River yeah. just uh, changes who you are and makes you into sometimes a very uh, crotchety and a uh, definitely very gritty person. And I do admire that aspect of the city because there's just a lot of honesty in that. Yeah, honesty is a very polite word of saying aggressive people. So thank you, Lauren. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, they're aggressive, but it, no. at the end of the day, you get what you came for. Get what you came for. And that's exactly the best way to describe it. It is, it's honest. It's, um, hey, are you, you know, it, I used to describe it because New York is also gritty, but like you'll get shouted at and you're like, cool, whatever. And you keep walking. Philadelphia, they will not only shout at you, 
they will follow you. And then if you don't look at them, they will then tap you and be like, hello, did you hear what I said? I'm talking to you. So there's a, there's an extra layer of commitment in the uh, attitude. And that's not just like being stalked on a street, but if you're having a conversation with somebody, it's, it's, it's blunt. It's in your, it's like, this is what I think. This is what I believe in super loyal. Oh yeah. Philadelphia is Philadelphia's number one fan. Yes. It is the city of brotherly love and we're recording this in February. So shout out to the love in the world, but it really like every, like if it is from Philly made in Philly by Philly, somebody from Philly or went to school in Philly, they will be your number one fan forever and ever and ever. (laughs) And it's great. It is really, I think that's a great aspect, you know, whatever there's flip sides to that. Let's not go down the sports riot route, but yeah, very loyal, very honest. So you being not a native Philadelphian, can you tell everybody where you're from and yeah, where you came from? Ooh, yeah. So I am from, I don't know if you can still tell by the very, you know, just the way that I talk, but I'm from sunny Southern California. Uh, I am from Los Angeles County, born and raised for 21 years. And then I moved to the cold and gritty Northeast. Um, And yeah, so born in LA and that's where I went to school. I K through the beginning of community college in California and yeah, so that's what my sunny disposition, that's all, that's where I got it from. I love it. And you can't erase that. And it, it does come through. And also the neutral accent, right? Philadelphia has. Uh, <laughs> I said water ice and I feel like people water. are going to come for me. Yeah, they're like, it's not water ice, it's water ice. And get it right. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> come for me. <laughs> Um, it's also a little bit of a blend of South Jersey. I'm from New Jersey, so I can make fun of all of it. I got ragged on for being from New Jersey. Like, but I'm sorry, this is Pennsylvania. Like I thought we were better than you. Okay. No one's better than anybody, but like, whatever, all the rivalries. And then you're just like, yeah, I I mean, regional accents are amazing. So you can kind of tell because you don't have one, which is great, but are you the typical Californian? Were you a surfer? rollerblader, hiker, what was your movement like as a kid? And when did you get kind of get your start into it? So, yeah, so my extracurriculars as a child were like gate, which is like the advanced classes of like every nerdy thing you could think of. That was my extracurricular. So I was like a child who, even though I was outside a lot because it was Southern California and my grandma really like would lock us outside not not literally not literally grandma but you know she would encourage us to stay outside a lot um home to the bell rang (laughs) yeah and so I was not into it at all like I was always a little chubby and then there was the added thing of like yeah I was I was always chubby or bigger but I didn't realize that me meant I could still be capable um And so I thought that like, you know, being bigger automatically meant that I wasn't going to be good at any physical activity that I tried. So I pretty much avoided it. And I took dance in high school as my way out of PE, which 
Um, I know we bonded over before because yes. there's no, there's nothing like getting out of PE to do dance and like, it yeah. was great. <laughs> well, and we'll, and we'll talk about that again. The, uh, it, it was the presidential fitness test, right? Was it that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, you still had to do, even if you weren't in a regular PE class. So not only did you not have the training of doing these things, but then like the class that you were doing to try to avoid that, it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's still a test that I don't, again, I think, I, I think it's still around. I don't know, but I definitely was with you. I, I did dance and I was like, I can't do this mile run. I mean, it's so pathetic. I can't do this mile run. I mean, all you have to do is like walk it fast enough to finish it under 12 minutes. Like if you walk at a brisk enough pace, like I'm not even talking about power walking. You can finish in probably 12 minutes, you know. Oh, yeah. We're totally, we're totally doing that now all the time around the city. But when you're 13, 14 or whatever, like. Oh, the dread. The dread. We would, oh, and so all I, I would, anything. I'd be like, oh, I, I'm, I'm getting shin splints. I have to dance later. Like, <laughs> And I got out of a few things. But I don't know about you. Was your... Um, middle school, high school, very competitive in the sports world? Was it like intimidating in gym class or was it kind of everybody was like over it? I think that there were definitely sections of my high school experience or like people in my high school that were competitive. But again, because we were sectioned off, I was in like team nerd, like team take multiple science classes per year. Um, and so that really shielded me from a lot of the the toxicity around fitness. Not necessarily that the kids in my program weren't fit or engaging in sports, but they were also engaging in the activities that I was. So it, well, I didn't feel isolated from that. You're also kind of getting to be around the people that you're most like and in a time where you're the most hormonal and changing and uncomfortable in your own skin, probably, you know, there's a lot of social things that happen in high school outside of the academic. So being able to be around people, and that's why everyone loves college so much. You get to be with your people. You chose to be there. You chose to be in that environment and you find your crowd even more and you're in your major and all of that stuff. I think that's kind of nice to be able to be shielded. My school was so like people got injured in gym that's how competitive it was like (laughs) we didn't have a volleyball team but we played indoor volleyball and the amount of noses that were bleeding sprained ankles knee whatever knee thing like silly and like as a grown woman do you just sit here thinking like is it that like how how serious was it for real? I'm, I'm like holding my head, and it was like everybody. It was like if you <laughs> could spike that ball and like it, I don't even know. I was just like, what the? Hell? It was like scary, and I'm like, I mean, I got into it too. Like you, I, again, it was, oh, we all do. We can't we can't abandon that competitive spirit just for the for the logical side of us as 15 year olds who were like I'm probably not going to be great at this but you're like but I should try yeah and like the the amount of people and it wasn't just like the sporty people that got into it like people would be shouting at each other if you were not trying your best (laughs) you're just like 
what is happening? But I, I think I've told this story a couple times on the podcast, but another way of getting out of um, weight room, we had to do weight room, if you can believe it, like lift weights. Fine, totally fine. Women should lift weights. That's amazing. But as a 14, 15 year old girl being in the weight room with like, you know, your crush or whatever, who's there. And you're like, I'm supposed to lift these weights. And you're just like, it's, and it smells. And it's like, smells horrible. it's just like, what? this is not set up to like teach me like how to lift. We're not like competing against ourselves. It was just like weight room. So I was like, we, I don't want to do weight room. I see you have buns of steel and abs of steel on VHS. May we go in the other mat room and like get our step on. <laughs> and they let us, we would black out the windows and we'd go into these whole fitness videos, like sidestepping all day long. And it was great because it allowed us to kind of have our own time and do something fun and whatever. Listen, some of those videos, like those Jane Fonda moves, we're still doing those in bar. <laughs> we're still doing that side seat work. <laughs> I had a thigh master for a long time and my parents moved and I, they got rid of it. And I was like, no, that should be like in a museum, the thigh master, the Norda track, like all of that. I'm like, and there used to be this guy and Saturday morning, like they used to have Saturday morning, like workout channels. And like, this is like before on demand, before all of that stuff. And I remember he'd be on a beach. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but they'd be on these like circular platforms with his white sneakers and white, like chunky socks. And they'd all be like doing their aerobics together. And I would turn it on. And I mean, I should know, I should have known what I, that I would not only just dance, but I would be some kind of like fitness aerobics instructor because I, I was so into it. I was like, this is great. Um, this is fine. This is normal. <laughs> I guess I everyone goes to the beach. Everyone goes to the beach and wears their Fila chunky sneakers, which by the way, I have a pair now. And <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say those are, you're still wearing them. Yeah, for sure. They're, they're, they come back, but, um, so tell me a little bit more about kind of the other things that you were into. And I, cause I love, you know, people assume that everybody in fitness is obsessed with fitness. Like, and I, I'm telling these funny stories because I wasn't obsessed with it. I actually hated going to the gym. I went to a gym in college that I joined because they had, actually, you probably know it's 13th street fitness. I don't know if they're still there. Yes. Yeah. And they have a roof deck and it's amazing. So you go with your like girlfriends. It's in a predominantly like kind of like gay neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so a very safe space for a girl and you'd go get your tan on, on the roof deck. <laughs> so I'm like, I didn't actually work out at the gym. I would just go sit outside and get tan. <laughs> but there is this misconception that everybody in the fitness world or what, you know, bar world that we're obsessed and we've always been this way or it was always easy for us. So can you just kind of take us down the road of um, the things you were into? Cause it does tie into your um, kind of pathway now. So just so we can hear that. Oh yeah. So growing up, I had, my mom was a single mom for most of my childhood. And so my grandparents were super involved, which that's why earlier I had to, 
you know, amend my statement about my grandma locking us out because if she ever, <laughs> if she ever listens to this and if my, if she ever gets a chance to listen to this, she would roll her eyes at me being dramatic about it because she's also still one of my closest confidants at age 83. Um, but I went through school, like I said, doing nerdy stuff and then, you know, rolling around to college, it was kind of like, okay, well, there's no funds for you to go to college. So I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I'll go to community college. It wasn't okay, cool. It was very devastating, actually, if I could rewind and say that. It was pretty devastating to not know how I was going to be able to go to college, especially, I feel like even 10 years ago in 2010, Mm. college felt like it was the only option given to you after college or after high school. And uh, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Like if I would have known that this is where I would be today, then maybe I would have made different choices and felt a different way. But well, and you're also like you know, for context, I graduate. I graduated college in two thousand eight, and that's when the market crashed. And two thousand ten was not any better. It wasn't coming back at that point. You Definitely know, not. So it felt like okay, well, we'll just bide our time with college, and then maybe by the end of that. It will be better, which didn't seem like a solution at all now. No, and I mean, the the idea of college for me was like, okay, like I I went to school for dance. I went to a conservatory, but I have a bachelor's. And because I was sold sold on the idea that if you don't have a bachelor's, which is kind of true, you will not ever be able to even have a fallback. You needed that piece of paper in order to take with you, just like a high school diploma, right? You needed the high school diploma. And now even more so you needed this college degree. And yes, I went for the technique. I knew what I was going for and I really wanted it, whatever, fine. But (laughs) when everybody's being sold on big schools, big degrees, Not only do you now need your bachelor's, you need your graduate. You need your PhD now for some psychology pathways. And so like, I don't know. I I mean, it definitely is still happening at that time. I would love to believe that it's changing. I hope it's changing. But like being told that community college is not a smart, A, financial decision, and B, in general, to figure out what you want to do decision, it's only a year or two years that you, you know, quote unquote, have to stay there and let, you know, unless you go for four and there's some great community colleges that are four-year schools to then be in a place where you're more financially successful than most walking out of that, a four-year college because they're in such debt. Absolutely. And I want to give you a little ray of sunshine and hope because Um, some of the students that I've mentored and, you know, have connections with who are going through college and coming to the end of that or going through high school and coming towards college, they're making different decisions and they're going the places that they get the biggest scholarship offers to. And they're going to community college and working while they're in community college and saying stuff to me, like, we don't know what we want to do. So it's a waste of time and money to go. And I'm like, wow, if someone would have said that to me. Yeah, I'm not sure like we would have listened, right? Like the part of me is like, totally. would totally. I absolutely not? Because it wasn't what was happening in the world at the time. And 
and because it was also a time too, where I feel like the most people were going, you know, like everybody went somewhere, whether it was community or in-state or out-of-state or private or whatever it was. It was like, I mean, at least like we're in the bubble I lived in. It was just like, oh, everybody, this is what you do. This is the next step. And then to get to the next step. And then you get to that job step and you're like, oh, wait, hold on. Time out. What? How much am I making? What's going on? Not a lot of money. (laughs) Not a lot of money. And and then it's the expectations. So um, before we go down the money rabbit hole that we can talk about days and days for, um, what did you major in college? So you went to community. How was that experience? Um, I cried my first day of community college um, (laughs) because because of what we were talking about and because of knowing that so many of my friends that I did find in high school and really bonded with and felt like those were my peers and that was the level that we were working with here. And then I went into this bigger pond that was pulling from people in all different stages of life and spaces in their life. And the first uh, general science class that I was taking in community college, I, I, it sounds really bougie of me to even talk about like the whole thing, but someone just didn't know some very basic answers that I felt everyone on earth knew the answers to. And I realized that I was in a place that was much different from where I was used to being. And it kind of broke my heart that like, did I make the wrong decision? Should I just have, you know, gone for it against, against everyone else's, you know, better judgment and everything like that. And, um, but after a minute of being at community college, I then again found that community and found the community of people who were in the very same situation as I was, where they were into academics and they were excited, but they just needed a little bit more time to gather resources or time to perfect something or you know, family issues are happening. So community college is truly a blessing when it comes to that kind of stuff. It is not an easy way out. It is a great stepping stone. And I majored in a little bit of chem and a little bit of bio, but my final major when I graduated was environmental studies. But the chem and the bio were supporting that major before I transferred to a bigger university. Sure. Well, and I think you hit it on the head. Like, when we think about the things that we want to accomplish, you have to think about the resources you have. Like, what do you have available to you? What can you get outside of your own stuff? And a lot of times it's, you know, you're talking about time or maybe like materials or equipment or whatever it is, but it's also money, you know? And if you have a studio and you need prompts, does it make sense to order all of the prompts before anyone's signing up for class? Do you have, it's like, do you have the resources? If you do, great, cool. If you don't, it, it does feel like a punch in the gut because you know the potential you have, you know what you can do with those resources or what you would do with those resources. But it's, but being able to take the time that you need to gather what you need to be more successful on that next step is smart. And it it shouldn't, a community college shouldn't be looked at as a way out or 
doing something maybe a little bit scrappier. Like, Hey, I did my first website. I'm only now going into my second, I'm going into my third year of business. And I just hired somebody because I couldn't afford it before. Goals. (laughs) That's my goals. (laughs) Hire someone to do these little things. But I think there's so much value in doing the little or those little things that are big things, right? Um, It's valuable to learn how to do it because yeah, of course you can hire someone, but maybe you just really want to do it right now. And that person that you hired is not necessarily available at 1am when you thought of the thing that you need to do. So knowing a very basic level, you can go in there and update an event. So there you go. Absolutely. And you know what? I, I know how to work my website now because of the experience I had. And just like, you know, how to, gather resources now because you, you were forced into a time period of waiting for those resources. Okay. What are you going to do now? So it, 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 we don't always want to learn the lessons. Like we love like the social media, like inspirational quotes of like, yeah, life's hard and you can do it and push through and all, whatever the quotes are. I can't think of them off the top of my head. <laughs> like, you know, like, fall down eight times, get up nine or whatever. Actually fall down eight times at all. But it is where you learn the most and you get the most value for what you're doing. And you hear it all the time. Like, Oh, like somebody like say in the position that doesn't have the money to do something and somebody else does like, it's so easy to go down a path of like comparison or jealousy or wishing or frustrated. And it's, Sometimes you see that person take it for granted or will just pay to fix a problem. And it should be reassurance. Like, don't worry, that will later on bite them in the ass for sure in a different way. Maybe, maybe you'll never hear about it. But it, we, again, we all are served up these lessons for a reason to set us up on something else in the future. And I think... Yeah, it is then being able to recognize now, right? Like as you're, you know, as you have like, oh, that was a really smart thing. And you're coaching people now to not dive in and go for it. Yeah, and and I'm like, so I definitely think when it comes to like my coaching style and my friendship style or whatever, I'm definitely, you will call me and be like, Lauren, what shoes should I buy the baby? And I'll be like, you know what? You should quit your job. But <laughs> because I keep telling everyone to quit their jobs. And I feel like a broken record, but it's, I have these friends who have all these amazing skills. And like you said, they're either sitting there waiting and wishing and feeling like that's not for them when they could easily start where they are and with what they have. And, um, it's a joke to say, quit your job, but like, I do set a lot of people up where I'm like, you know, my quitting your job is what you want to do. Here is how I would suggest you doing it. Please don't quit your job. Like I said, but I'm excited for you. My, um, I have a, my coach says, um, if, you know, if somebody loses a job, congratulations, you now have the opportunity to live the life you want to live. Or, um, her other saying is, you know, She'll say, don't quit your uh, venture capitalist job. This is your VC to make your dreams come true. Oh, absolutely. And I've had multiple friends in that same situation. And, you know, I was in that situation. Um, 
So when it comes to like how I really got into talking about money and talking about like accountability was after multiple transfers from community college to major university to another major university that was a little less expensive, but still really expensive. Um, I got out of college with starry eyes and that degree that we were talking about, that degree that I failed to even pick up until... A year later, almost, uh, which is because nobody looks at it and no one tells you that. <laughs> Listen, that's that that degree. So um, I immediately, I pretty immediately got a job, which was both a combination of luck and craziness because I was feverishly applying and going to interviews during my last semester of college, which is what I think everyone should be doing, and no one is really telling you about. Um, and I got this job and I sat at this desk and I was so proud of myself and the income was really good for someone who had my major and never had any internships or anything like that. And then I was saddled with all this debt. And then that dream job stopped feeling like a dream job because I felt like I was going to this job to pay off this debt. And then this job was impacting then my body that I felt like I was, you know, a little bit of my soul was being chipped away every day, which, you know, um, not everybody feels that way about a desk job, but I did for some reason or another, I felt like there's gotta be some other way for me to make money and be happy and impact people. And there's definitely like, you know, a job can be a means to an end, but if, sometimes we accomplish goals and we check all the boxes and we go, go, go and go through the steps like we were talking about. Like, oh, you ha- everyone goes to school. Like I have to go to college. Okay, now I have to get the job. All right, I have the job. Now what? Like there's always that now what or what's next or is this it or do I want more? Like those questions come up and get the dirty word of money comes into play. I need money. I need, you know, I need money. I need more money. (laughs) I need more money. If I want to do this, I need like, so it keeps people in a place where I guess I'll stay. I'm making money. It's good money. I don't know. You know, so you were not in finance. You were in um, environmental sciences. Now, was that your job when you started your first kind of real I'm going to say real. I hate using that word, but I know. I always say big girl. I always say big girl job, which is also just as offensive because we are definitely big big girls and grown ass women doing a job. But um. (laughs) I I refer to everything as like little, like I'm like, ooh, like those little whatever. And it's because I like travel size things. I like tiny things that are like poly pocket size, like not because I like skin. It's not like body thing it's more like I think no I know like the baby Yoda fans like we all know we love it we love the small things um but yeah my first uh big girl job and that desk job was me doing what I went to school for and the actual work was really interesting and really exciting at times and it, it wasn't it wasn't all bad and I I look back on it and I tell people that I don't want people to think that if they do work that kind of job that I look down on that in any way or that I think that that's not a good choice it just wasn't the right choice for me and 
it felt like the politics of that job. And, you know, to be honest, answering to people that I felt like weren't really communicating well with the younger folk. And like we talked about colleges and universities churning out eligible people that they would just turn you over if if you left, my, your spot would be filled the next day. So it didn't feel like you were really a valued member of a team. Sure. And I think this kind of segues really well into the, uh, the notion that you really need to, well, it's an old school notion, right? You got to climb the ladder. You got to pay your dues. You got to, you know, Basically, yeah, pay your dues. I think that's like a great way to put it. And in in the sense of like, you have to beyond hustle struggle in order to become successful in your job or successful in general. So can you speak upon that a little bit? I know we've talked um, off the record, but I want to bring it on the record about uh, kind of that, uh, yeah, the struggle, like that yeah. myth. I mean, the struggle is real, right? That's what everybody says. But when people say the struggle is real to me, I'm kind of like, I don't believe in your struggle or my struggle. And that's that's not to say that I don't believe in systems of oppression and systems of keeping people in positions that are very uncomfortable. I completely believe in that. But what I'm saying is these little day-to-day struggles of, like you said, being forced to climb this imaginary ladder um, that's not my struggle because I'm choosing not to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that, that was a struggle that was presented to me, right? I had that option. I had that choice and I had that right before me. And I opted not to do it. And as we discussed earlier, I think, um, the glorification of having a struggle and everyone wanting to have a struggle, it seems like to then co- you know, come commit and do and get over it. And like, they, they move beyond their struggle and now they have a story. Right. That is not something that necessarily is required and no. we didn't have to do it. Absolutely. And we are not sitting here, like you said, talking about oppression and like keeping people in a, like that is not what we're talking about. Right. So put that cleared so people don't like you what are you talking about Michelle um but yeah everybody has a story right but we're talking about that you know again uh, like we're going to talk about social media in a minute and like kind of representation and all that but feeling this trend of like oh well well we can talk about it we're women right like so there's this there's the story of, well, I'm a woman, I'm not paid enough, blah, blah, blah. Like it's because I'm that, like we have this female story that already is happening. And I believe depending on how much you want to A, buy into it or B, let that determine your story is up to you. Right. So it's like, I could sit here all day long and like list why things won't work out for me. That's just my ego and my fear. Right. Is it going to be hard because I'm that maybe, you know, but is that going to stop me? So I have to then kind of go that way or feeling like, oh, well, you know, I'm looking at this person and we start going down the comparison game of like, oh, well, wow, they really struggled with an eating disorder. I never had one. 
do I have really any clout to say X because I didn't struggle through that? Right. So we, we're in a trend where it is kind of sexy to have overcome something. Definitely. I think that, and, and, you know, it's, it can be very, very, very small, mm-hmm. but it's something that when we, when we get together in groups and I notice it, you know, it could just be you and your partner or it could be whatever, how quickly and how easily we complain, right? Well, oh, you know, I stubbed my toe while I broke my foot while I, you know, got hit by a car and broke my leg. Like, yeah. I'm paralyzed. It, yeah. <laughs> it escalates so quickly into this negative spiral. And so I really started cleaning up the ideas that I had because I grew up a super, I will say, I will say pessimistic. I was pessimistic and then I was realistic. And now I'm this like, floaty little butterfly of a person, which <laughs> is really annoying. And I know it's annoying. Um, right. but, uh, <laughs> I but I like, I feel like, you know, we have to get to the spot where we're encouraging our friends out of these, Correct. out of these struggle stories and off of these struggle buses. Like, Yes. You know, that person treated you like dirt, like let's maybe evaluate who you want around you. Right. Absolutely. And in being able to recognize it, acknowledge it, and use that information of how you can move beyond it or how you can help somebody else move beyond it. Because if you're sitting, you know, a lot of bar teachers have other jobs. You know, if you're sitting in a job, thinking, oh, well, I wish if I just taught all the time, all my problems will be solved. I'd be doing what I love, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, we all have to have a job of some sort. Even those with a ton, a ton of money, guess what? They're working, doing something, whether it's working in their home, being a mom, being a parent, being a partner, organizing something. I've not met one person that didn't have some kind of a quote unquote job. And that could be as big as running a company or as equally as big as like running a home or a, or a charity or whatever. And, you know, maybe they're not getting paid for it, but that's their quote unquote job. And every job is a job and it comes with the same complaints. It comes with the same, like, all right, I got to get up and do this. Like I have responsibilities, right? I have things to do, but it doesn't have to be, this struggle where you are in a place where you're not feeling good enough or you're comparing of like, Oh, well, I mean, wow, look at them. Like they've really triumphed over X, Y, and Z and they're so inspirational. And like, who am I to ask for more? I think that's a big thing that comes out of a lot of people's mouths. Like who am I to ask for more? I'm only this person. I'm not that special or, you know, a lot of females, we don't ask for more because we are in general, nurturing, understanding, <laughs> loving people that are like, it's okay. They'll recognize me. No. Right. And that's really <laughs> hard to get out of that mindset because you feel on the other side of that, then you're asking for too much. You're greedy. You're, um, you know, you're money hungry or you're power hungry or whatever. And at the end of the day, like, yeah, 
I am hungry for those things, just like the things that, you know, we're hungry for every day. Like you're allowed to want to have nice things and you're allowed to want to have good experiences and a good workplace and a nice partner. Like all of those things are something that I hope everyone can attain. Well, and it's, and everyone can have resources, whether it's time. So whether you're negotiating time off or time working at home compared to being in the office or it's money, whatever it is, is it's a resource. And what we were saying before, like if you have to wait for those resources to get to the next place, how long are you willing to wait? Do you have to wait? Can you add, like, is it any way in your control? Like just asking these questions can give you so much confidence to be like, oh, well, I'm asking for more money because if I have, if I'm making X, (laughs) then I can do Y. And why do I want to do that? It's because I want to support my family, whatever your reason. It's because I want to take that vacation because heck yeah, I deserve a vacation or I want to see the world or I want to start this nonprofit with the left, you know, whatever money I'm putting aside from job A. And So looking at it as a resource and not like, okay, this is just the number, now deal with it, can be really empowering too. (laughs) Absolutely. And money is probably one of the hardest things. And we can almost compare it to working out, right? It's something that we have to do consistently to build the muscle of both, you know, planning it out or attending to it, you know, looking at everything. They're very similar people kind of like laugh at me sometimes they're like oh that's like two really random things to be into like fitness and talking about money and I'm like yeah but those habits that you put into place for yourself whether it's a great movement routine that you really love and you enjoy and you do frequently or it's it's creating budgets and you know stacking paper because you love it and you enjoy it and you want to do it frequently yeah it's a relationship just as much as it is a relationship with the job you're doing or the partner you're with, it's, or, you know, your pets, like they're all relationships and it's how you are in that relationship as much as what is that other thing doing in the relationship, right? Yeah. Um, And I think those habits, you know, once you start impacting their silly books and stuff and, you know, those quotes that we talked about, about impacting one habit at a time, but my goodness, can I tell you my new year's resolution of doing all my laundry on one day and putting it away has been like such a beautiful thing. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love it. I, I enjoy laundry, but I am also somebody that it's like, I want to do something once. So (laughs) I, which is not a great, it's like, that's a double-edged sword. Like if I only want to do it once, it might not I'm a, I'm a messy person. So even like go back to my website, my first one wasn't amazing. It worked. It's fine. But I was like, yeah, here, whatever. But um, yeah, no, I try to stuff that laundry in until it like almost can't spin around and actually clean itself. <laughs> I'm like, this is fine. This is going to be fine. Just uh... <laughs> it all in there. And now with a baby coming, I'm like, ooh, okay. That's yep. once a week. Do I get him his own laundry bin because some of that stuff's gonna have poop on it I don't know about that (laughs) yeah I would definitely see that's 
laundry bin would definitely be worked into the baby plan for me. Write that one down. <laughs> Literally don't want to mix that shit. So, <laughs> but going back to the connection of finance and fitness, when did your relationship with fitness start to change as you were working? Yeah. So I started working out through college and we've discussed this and my Instagram, I'm very open about this. I definitely did not have a healthy relationship with my body for a very long time. And I think a a lot of people can relate to that. But um, in college, I started working out in the pursuit of changing my body and losing weight. And um, I did. (laughs) With that, though, came, you know, eating habits that were not health promoting for anyone and that I would not suggest anyone do. And, well, you know, going back to a time too, like things move so fast nowadays. So you're in college, what, between 2010 and, oh no, you graduated. Yeah, I graduated in 2015 because that extra year of transferring around. Yeah. So between like that chunk of time, a half a decade, the, it was not like it is today where we are talking about healthy eating. And I was thinking about this before our call because I'm ordering groceries because yes, I order groceries. I do not go pick them up, whatever, you know, time, resource. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I was ordering groceries and I was like, you know what? I didn't know what organic was growing up. Like I'm an eighties baby, a nineties kid. And like listing the like cheese whiz and tasty cakes like that, was your snack, your Dunkaroos, your Gushers, your fruit roll-ups, your whatever, like it, it wasn't mainstream. And even that was what, five years ago, it really wasn't that mainstream still to be like juice cleansing or whatever, like the trends that happened after that. It wasn't about that. And it, nobody knew Yeah. And I was was definitely engaging in like stuff that, you know, we, I'm sure you know, and have like interacted with this, but taking the idea of health and doing it so much that it's no longer promoting health, which like, you know, the, what was the master cleanse? Let's talk about how, sorry, Beyonce, I love you. But Beyonce was promoting the master cleanse, which is a lemon juice with cayenne pepper and maple syrup. Yeah, that's just like, it burns just even thinking about that. And that kind of stuff is the stuff that we are slowly, you know, we're exposed to left and right. And I think that so many people, myself included, are on this quest to find health, not realizing that everyone's health looks so completely different and everyone's perfect diet is not going to be the person next to you's perfect diet. My partner and I eat very different diets. <laughs> like For the most part, we thrive on different types of food and he eats in a different way than I do. And that's okay. We live together harmoniously and it's we fine. make it work. But our dinner. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, yeah, we can eat the same dinner. It's just, it's just, maybe at different times or in different and everything like that. So I started getting into fitness when I was trying to find out what health meant for me. And it took me, yeah, it took me a long time to figure out that who I was and where I was 
was enough. Mm. And uh, it's still a daily struggle to feel like that. And I know a lot of people can relate with that. Absolutely. And I don't think there's one, there's not an end point, right? And just talking before, like, okay, I reached the goal. Now what? Yeah, exactly. That, that It definitely does not end. And so a lot of people who find themselves in that position, especially as young adults, then come to have a negative connection to fitness because they felt like that was a position when they were, you know, engaging in disordered things that, that maybe fitness had some, you know, hand in that. And I actually really clung to my movement and the love of moving as I was recovering from an eating disorder, because it felt like I could be home in my body doing these things and that that was enough. Well, I think you nailed it on the head. I mean, again, like, I'm so glad there's so many other resources out there now of like healthy eating and more knowledge about it and people are talking about it. Um, And I think I shared with you before, like my college professor was like, diet is die plus a T like, and I was like, wow. And then you go to the other teacher and they're literally telling you to lick the apple, smell the apple, don't eat the apple. And you're like, but insanity, but apples are good for you. What? An apple. I know. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't understand. And my relationship with food has certainly changed. I've never, I've never had like, I never had that struggle. I never had a struggle to like, whatever. But I certainly, this is the first time in my life being like, well, when this airs, I won't be pregnant anymore. But being pregnant is the first time in life I actually gained weight. And so the changing of my body and then looking back on old photos and be like, damn girl, shut the F up. Like you look good. Like, so like a lot of my self-talk now is like, man, like life is great. You looked amazing. Enjoy it. Like, do you need to really like nitpick yourself every day because like you think part of your thigh is bloated that day like just shut the front door you know like it's so my sound talk like (laughs) is a little bit form post baby of like you got this girl you look good you know (laughs) and I've never been that person to be like oh I love my body and it's it's I think turned so many people away thinking that fitness is just to like lose weight and look hot and six pack abs where I love that you said movement because movement feels so good and movement's not really about, it's about moving. It's not about achieving maybe something. It's just about moving. And I think that mentality and that kind of mindset can really change the fitness world into more health based world. (laughs) And we can look at it from a standpoint of like, oh, I moved. It feels so good to move. And when you feel good, other good things start to happen. Absolutely. And health is such a complicated, complex concept. And like we already said, it's different for everyone. But having a movement practice that you enjoy Mm -hmm. is something I feel that everyone deserves and I wish had access to. And I'm working, you know, I'm working on it. I I, I do pop-ups. I do, you know, we've talked about this before, being able to have the income, the disposable income and the flexibility in my own finances to be able to offer things to other people who may not 
be in that place financially currently. So that's exciting for me. It is really exciting. My husband and I talk about that all the time. There's a negative connotation with people that make money or in a lot of it that they are not inclined to help others where we don't have that experience with people that we know, which is great. So we have good examples in our lives, but the mentality should be like, oh, the more money somebody has, wow, look at all the amazing things they can do for other people that don't have, you know? And I think the best thing that happened to working out besides the Saturday morning jazzercises that I would do (laughs) was YouTube, people posting on YouTube, their free workouts. Like I'm going to give them a shout out that they do not sponsor me whatsoever, but fitness blender on YouTube Yes. If you, if you have ever not had a gym, <laughs> you have done a fitness blender YouTube workout. <laughs> you can get it all. It's amazing. And it's good quality. And it's great. Like I think, and I love stuff like that. And I love that like you are able to kind of then like share that same joy and same passion for, and a movement practice. And I, I love that that phrase is now not just yoga uh, specific, having a practice um, because, you know, for so long, you go, oh, my yoga practice, my yoga practice, great. But then transfer that to like any other fitness modality, like, oh, I don't have a Pilates practice at home. Like, I, okay, you don't have a bar practice at home. Well, you can't, yeah. right? It's just like, it's movement. Like you can do anything at home or you can do whatever in your office or something. <laughs> but I love the idea of that. Even just that, I, that idea has blended into other fitness modalities, which I think is lovely. Um, yeah. And it's really important to feel like you have autonomy, especially for people like us who are teaching group fitness classes. And we have anywhere from, you know, three to 300, depending on where you're teaching and what you're doing, people following what you're doing And it's important for those people to know that they are still allowed to be their individual selves and move the way that is comfortable and conducive to them getting a workout. Absolutely. And so you have a good story. You got into fitness in college. Um, I believe, did you tell me you worked at the gym? Was that you? That was me. Yeah. I actually, that's how I found bar. So I did regular old, you know, I did the regular old college going to the college rec center and everything like that. Um, that's who I was then. And then this is our, this is my discovering bar also related to me being a frugal, crazy person. Um, so I took my very, you have the amazing resources to get scrappy and make it happen. (laughs) Had to get get creative with it. So I took my very first bar class for free because it was the opening of the studio and I thought I was going to die. (laughs) Yes. As you do. (laughs) As you do. (laughs) A while later, I received an email from that studio saying that they were looking for someone to do work exchange in exchange for an hour for hour watching kids. And then you would get an hour at the studio for any class that you wanted. And I have been a nanny for ever Um, I love kids. I have all like my clearances. I work with kids of different ages. So I'm like, bring it on. Free fitness. Because to me, watching kids is like, that's chill. I can do that. Um, 
So I had to hang out with a little couple little kids every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Yes, I was getting up on Saturday morning to watch kids. And in exchange, I was getting to do bar classes and learn about bar. Yeah, using what you have. And I know not that's not for everybody. I'm definitely like a kid person. I always nanny, I always babysat. But um but yeah, there's other things like front desk or, you know. Right. And it's the, it's the trade-off. It's like, well, what are you, you know, doing a trade? Oh, I'm trading my time so they don't have to pay you, right? And then you don't have to pay for class. Like, if you can find those situations, like, well, that, that's where it's at, especially in the beginning. And then, okay, then maybe it's time to ask, or like, hey, maybe I like doing this more. Or maybe I want to teach or whatever it is. But I think it's such a great way. That's what internships are. We just don't look at it that way in our fields, you know, like apprentice, it's an apprenticeship. You're learning. Yeah, and I think there needs to be more of it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, what I learned by being an unofficial studio manager and a desk person, like I was never hired as that person, but I was in a place where I was the only one that knew how to run the system and I had to teach everybody and I would get on the phone and I would learn it. And there are skills that I learned then like 10 years ago that I'm using now to run my own business. Like it was my unofficial business school. Like I got to learn the numbers and how client retention. And again, I've never owned my own studio. doesn't mean I don't know how it operates and it definitely informed me of like, I am not a studio owner. (laughs) Same, same, same. No, that's not what I want, but I can certainly sit here and and speak from a knowledgeable place of the ins and outs and stuff like that. And uh, again, it's, it's skill building. So you can have these resources to pull from. And the more we like look at our experiences as like, okay, like, do I want to be the janitor at this studio? Maybe not, but for a little bit, you know, okay. Like I get to open it up and check the messages and sweep the floors and kind of like get through the space, the layout. And like, you just, you learn so, so, so much by doing stuff like that. And I don't know. I think that's invaluable really. Truly it was. And that's how I ended up deciding to go through and become a bar teacher that in combination with not seeing myself reflected in the classes and in the teachers. And I talked about this earlier with another friend, but it was important to me to get bar certified, to try to encourage other black women or women of color or women who are not necessarily, you know, the slender, blondish, you know, white women at the bar, you know, not not pointing any fingers or anything like that. Right at me. I'll point them right at me. <laughs> it was really important for me to try to build that representation because I thought, wow, you know, I'm not really seeing people who look like me and maybe someone who didn't have the access to doing a trade would never even think of coming in a studio like this without a little bit more encouragement and a little bit more representation. hundred percent and I just did an interview with somebody else recently and we talked about like what it means to be female and all of that stuff what comes with that and um what something that I definitely was super conscious about is I am your typical girl store 
blonde hair, blue eyes. I'm like European mix upon a mix. Like <laughs> I am literally the representation of all European descent. You check my ancestry.com. It's like real ridiculous. But I'm so aware of that, that I had a look and that I was being told even in college, oh, you have that look. I'm like, well, I don't freaking want that look. I don't want to be considered because of that. Like I want to be considered because I'm talented. And even as a kid, I didn't wear pink I, because I was like, I don't want to look like Barbie. I'm not Barbie. I'm not stupid. I don't want to be considered dumb blonde, right? Like hello, every nineties movie, you know, mm-hmm. legally blonde, hilarious, funny, but it's like the whole thing is based off of her having to overcome being looked at as stupid. She's blonde and she talks she says like I mean that's me I did not grow up in the valley like I'm not a California girl by you know birth but I definitely spent a lot of time there and I talk like I'm gone clueless you know <laughs> it's just like who I am and I, it took me a lot to like get over that and just like whatever I don't care what you think but I am so so aware of that and it it representation is a big thing. And so there's certain things that I do on purpose because I don't want to come across as just another blonde girl in the fitness world. Right. I mean, there's so many of us and I do think it's important to have representation. I mean, the entire basis of my company is there's plenty of room at the bar and the name is bar variations for a reason. Right. Yeah. Just down to the T. And I think, I think it's great. I think whether like, and again, all shapes, all sizes, all experiences and backgrounds should eventually be represented. And if that's you, great. I'm not saying anybody should force themselves into go out and do a casting and hire like United Colors of Benetton for their studio. It's just not going to happen everywhere. But it's also like, you're one of those people, like be that person. You know, yes, absolutely. And I think that it's, it is changing a little bit with more access, but I felt called to be that person in my community, whether or not it's been super impactful. We can't tell, you know, the census is only taken every 10 years. So give me 10 years. (laughs) Um, But I felt like I would want that. As a student, I want to go to different teachers' classes. I want to learn their methods. I want to be, you know, steeped in their experiences when I'm in their classes. Because, not because of any reason except I think that everyone has something to share with me. Mm -hmm. And I had something to share. So that's why I determined that I was going to be a teacher. Because, hey, you know, I'm going to get out here and show other people that it can be done. Yeah, that you didn't have to be on the track and field team. You didn't have to be always a gymnast or always whatever. Like, and I, I love that and because everybody does have a story to share. And whether we think we didn't struggle enough or maybe we have nothing to share because it's not that dramatic or exciting, or maybe it is, everybody has something to share. Everybody has a story to tell. And someone's going to relate to you more than maybe they'll relate to somebody else. And that's fine, right? Like... I've taught demographics where they're retirement age and they're like, Oh God, it's another 20 something year old coming. I mean, not 20 anymore, but at the time, like some other 20 year old telling me what to do, you know? And I'm like, yeah, that's fair. You've been around way longer than me taking these classes. And here I am trying to be like, 
did you know <laughs> that this happens when you breathe? Like, so also respect, respecting that it's okay, you know, whatever, like where we all come from, but it's, I think representation is huge. And we talked a little bit about this before the call, but speaking of representation, let's go down the ultimate social media representation and kind of what that means for you. And now being not only a leader in a room and locally in your community, but being a leader on the gram and on social. Yikes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I am not, I love social media. So we did talk about social media and I think we talked about some of the dark and dingy sides of social media when we were just having our normal chat. But to be honest, I absolutely love the idea of being connected to so many people and being able to share ideas. Cause that just goes back to, again, learning people's stories and learning people's experiences and being really um, compassionate and understanding because when you know someone and you love someone close to you, even if they're far away on the internet, you really can get a different perspective and learn a lot about yourself and other people. So love social media for those reasons. Met my husband online. So <laughs> I, social media has done me well. It's, it started my business. I also met my husband through it. So yeah, I mean, and I think it goes back to like, yes, it always has that dark side, but it's as it, it's asking yourself, like, well, who am I surrounding myself with? Who am I choosing to follow? Who am I choosing to like scroll through? And who am I choosing to let into my world, right? Yeah, we talked about bullying too, which is so funny because I, you know, that's the that's the trade-off. So if you have a public mm. profile, you're opening yourself up to really warm and loving and connected community, and you're opening yourself up to people who are solely out there to tear you down. Yeah. And you know what? It's my husband, he's on, he's an online presence and like I've told you before, but like I always bring him to like the words of Brene Brown, um, daring greatly. I think it comes from that book, the quote about being like, if you're not like in the arena and bleeding with me, your opinion isn't, it's not a value to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I really stick with that. It's not that that person doesn't matter. It's that I'm not here to, the kind of feedback I'm looking for is constructive. The kind of feedback I'm looking, it's not to just toot my own horn and be like, yay, you're so amazing. You're awesome but it's honest. And I want the feedback from the people that I respect and that are doing what I'm doing and are getting in there and getting gritty and scrappy and figuring things out. And if it's like, Oh, you shouldn't be wearing that. No time. Delete. (laughs) Bye. I've, uh, I've experienced a lot of like, you shouldn't be wearing that or like, that's not flattering. And we could do, you know, podcast part two on people saying the word flattering to people. But, um, you know, I, that's not flattering that attitude. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And am I, am I a harm? Am I causing you harm in any way by having a belly and wearing clothes that are on my belly. Like what? I don't know what I could possibly do. Would you like me to remove my skin for you? 
not yeah, happen, how, but how can I how how can I help you today? But yeah. um, but I think being being on social media and connecting with, I've had the distinct pleasure of connecting with other bar teachers and then being able to take their class in real life, and it's insane. It's my new favorite. Well, obviously not my new, but it, since starting this, it I love showing up and being like. Hi, like so I'm real. Cool. I'm real. You're real. And then meeting other people in the class, they're like, "Oh my god, I follow you!" And I'm like, "Wait, what's your name?" And they look, I'm like, "Oh my god, be great! I can't wait to follow you!" Like it's it. It really can be like we were talking about, like you know, the eternal optimist, like rainbows and butterflies, like going from being like pessimistic to you know being the unicorn and. I, a unicorn life is great. I mean, there's no reason not to be in that state of like, let's all hold hands and skip down this road together. Like, yeah, we can, we can, if we can do that, I think that it helps in those times where it's not unicorn life. Like, you know, it's, it helps in the times where we need one another for serious business and for times when the lens is not so rosy let's say you know when you have that community and you have that support that you've created in the good times that will sustain you through the not good times I think it's really um telling and really important for everyone out there to have such a community so I feel really lucky to have my social media community yeah and and it expands it I mean because I mean I feel like I'm swearing a lot on this saying the word shit but shit happens and not great shit happens and just like building resources in order to do the things you want to do that takes time right we've discussed that it also takes time to build a support system to build a community it doesn't happen overnight and to build trust with people and relationships and to cultivate them and to nurture them and to grow that like it takes time. And so when shit hits the fan, because it will happen when you don't expect it, because that's life. What you can, you know, and I'm not saying like, oh, you're just gonna be like, oh, it's fine. I have all these people. You're going to really go through it and you're going to be able to call on these people or lean on them or, you know, hide behind them for a little bit or whatever, use them as a resource to build you back up or give you a little push or pick you back yeah, or up. Just, or just say, Hey, I've been there. I know what you're going through. Exactly. Or I see you. I hear you. Exactly. I feel you. So I think that is the beauty of social media and social media has definitely helped me become a better teacher in ways and a better, a better communicator because I do like to write and write out my little captions and comment on people's stuff and that gives me more of a push to be the same motivator in person we did talk about me being an introvert and us coming home and kind of collapsing after teaching and being teachers and it's it's not always easy and I think having that community where you know like your work is being valued and the things that you're doing are making an impact, whether it's in person or online. And even if it's just super small, like someone from 
friends from across the United States or, or across the world messaging me and saying, I took a bar class today and it was so hard. I can't believe you do this all the time, but I went because you teach bar and I've never taken it. And you, you know, all those things. That's one of the most hilarious and frequent messages that I get. Like, Hey, I took bar. <laughs> Exciting. I love, I love confessions. I love fitness confessions where either people are like, I haven't worked out in a while. And I'm like, it's, it's okay. You don't need to, it's fine. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah, and that's usually more in person. If I'm meeting somebody for the first time, like, oh, I haven't worked out. Like, it's okay. Like, I'm not judging you and I'm not going to like put you through a workout right now. <laughs> <laughs> but then I do love getting those messages. I'm like, oh my God, I tried this. I'm like, I know it's the worst, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> but it's the best. And yeah, it's, it's fun. It's bonding. It's, again, like that's my kumbaya moments where I'm like, we're all in it together. (laughs) Yes. We're all in this, uh, weird class together where we all maybe feel like have a little bit of that lingering gym class feeling. If you weren't, if you weren't into it and maybe it's your first time at a studio and your legs are hurting and you don't know what's going on. And then the class is over (laughs) and that's it. And that's it. And then you come back and you get a little better and, you, and things change and you meet people and you get a spot in class and that's how it all, it all works out and you become a regular and then you become a bar instructor. Exactly. And then like, we're, yeah. And then we're here, right? <laughs> like, and then you're a teacher and that's how being a teacher happens. <laughs> so you're teaching bar. How did the financial coaching and all of that come into play? Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> so I was heavily in debt after graduating from college, after hopping around. And I say heavily because it was heavily for me and my situation without having a large um, family support system and without really having a lot of wealth opportunities or protection through my family and through connections. So it was just me and my partner out on a limb with what I felt like was too much debt. Um, And I wrote it down. This is how I'm going to get out of this debt. It sounds crazy and it is crazy. And then it happened and it happened just like that, even a little faster six months faster than I anticipated. I thought it would take us three years to get out of debt and it took us like 30 and a half months. (laughs) That's amazing. And can you share a little bit of like the trade-offs? Like, cause it's not that like you just write it down and you're like, cool. Oh yeah. I didn't write it down and put it under my pillow. And then like, you know, the, the debt fairy came and took it away from me. No, I, made this plan and every single day I executed that plan and it sounds silly, but every day I was executing the same plan. The plan was getting out of debt in three years. And that meant doing, (laughs) that meant doing trades for fitness because I didn't have a gym membership anymore. That meant doing trades for acupuncture and getting my hair done and getting, you know, everything I could get my hands on to trade a little bit of my time for a little bit of what is kind of a luxury working out. It shouldn't have to be a luxury, but it was at that point. And 
it, you know, it still is time-wise. And it's not cheap. Dropping classes are not cheap. Getting your hair done. Hey, ladies. I mean. Oh, yeah. And you've seen my hair. I, <laughs> yikes. So it's a lot of hair. Um, and so all of those things and my partner and I really had to communicate over and over again. Why are we doing this? Well, we're doing this because number one, because Lauren needs to do it. Uh, number two, because we feel like it will set us up for a better path and for more freedom and flexibility. That's what we talked about when we talked about resources. That's what we're really, that's really the discussion, even when we're talking about privilege. Freedom and flexibility come with levels of privilege and it comes with levels of access to funds, to classes, to getting your hair done, to food, to ordering food, to going to a restaurant, to all of those things. And, and I wanted that. <laughs> and who you're meeting, right? So it's like, if you're not in the room, you're not in the room. Oh, absolutely. And I was, I was in so few rooms, but I actually put myself in more rooms throughout this time, which reflecting back, you know, I think to myself how, how extremely lucky and how privileged I was to have the jobs that I did and the pickup work and to meet these people who are now supportive of me doing what I'm doing. And think of me as a true entrepreneur and think of me in general to have someone who I consider a mentor or who I consider someone that I look up to, to have them think of me as a peer or someone to turn to or someone to recommend. That's really, it's better. It's better than, you know, just being out of debt. A hundred percent. Like again, money, like, everything you listed are sometimes the things that we don't always firsthand think about of like what having that financial freedom might feel like. And we're not talking about being a millionaire billionaire. That's not necessarily necessary to be in that position, but, but we won't turn it down. We won't turn it down. And being able, and again, the big thing for, for me is, is that being in the room? Mm-hmm. And, oh, well, because I teach these classes, I now meet people that, yeah, do hair, do this, da, 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 are lawyers. Like, I can't tell you the amount, like, I feel like I could have, like, the old yellow pages just from the people I've met through teaching and the skills that they have, right? And so it also, and then not having the money to be in the room and getting scrappy and doing all of that stuff doing these trades, it forces you to talk to people mm-hmm. <laughs> and get to know them and, and ask for help because we, again, we're not in this alone, but it's okay to ask for something. And we're not saying like, Oh, ask for a handout. No, hi, I babysit and I could babysit these kids for a class. Great. Hey, yep. um, you are an amazing stylist. I need my hair done. I can't afford prices, but I will post all about it on social media and come to my class for as many, whatever, like come to like five, 10 class, like, here you go. It's nothing. It's nothing in the grand scheme of things, but you gain a network. Yeah. And it's a valuable skill to also learn how to pitch yourself as someone who is of value, even if it's in silly jobs, like, can I sweep the floor? Can I watch the kids? Can I take this weekend work from you? Yeah. And- 
it's surprising how how well it can go. Like, please come over. Please take my kids. Um, but I find that this is true, and maybe you can uh, maybe ring the truth bell as well. Of um, I find that a lot of people struggle for asking what they're worth, whether that's with money or with time, and even knowing. Yes, I think I I believe, and maybe you can share your belief on people's worth in general. Yeah, I I would agree that people struggle asking for their worth, and I would I often break that down for to like smaller bite-sized pieces and say people struggle with that because they don't really think about how much it costs them to live and to function in general. And when I am doing financial coaching, we start with a basic budget. But when you realize how much money you spend just to live, you're like, oh, dang, I need to make some more money. (laughs) I don't make enough to support me. And and doing it once a year at tax season being like, oh, is this what I made this year? Where did all that money go? Yeah. in my mouth because I probably ate it. Like, yeah, I ate it or I took an Uber or I, you know, did all the things to get, to get there that were very small creature comforts that we all desire. But when you're not in return, getting what you're worth from the work that you're doing, it's hard to maintain that lifestyle. And that's where you end up in trouble. A hundred percent. I know that you just did a workshop. Am I correct? You just had a workshop? Oh, it was so wonderful. Yeah. I actually have, well, by the time this is out, I will have done another one, but (laughs) yes, I did a, a, a money magic workshop. Can you share with the listeners, not your itinerary, but kind of what your workshops entail? Yeah. Uh, I would say that the secret sauce to my workshops, steal it if you want, but um, is honesty Mm. and coming to the table with what you've got going on. We had people in very different spaces in their life, in different workspaces, in different areas of privilege come together to talk about money, which is a taboo subject to talk about no matter who you are. (laughs) And I made them talk about it and it was uncomfortable and it was real. And we got down to some very basic stuff. And then we addressed some of the stuff that you and I have been talking about today, which is a little bit around that, that unicorn and butterfly mindset and a little bit around that asking for help. And I think, again, that comes down to really small bite-sized pieces of being honest with yourself about a budget, being honest with people around you and um, moving forward from there because sometimes that radical honesty can be paralyzing and terrifying, but with a community and with a, a group like this and with a workshop like this, we just keep it moving and we get those plans laid. Yeah. And working through it because I, I do think shame is a big part of it and and being embarrassed that, oh, I have this debt or I'm, I don't know what to do or it, it just spirals you into like a little bit of a pigeonhole of like, okay, it is what it is. Everyone has debt and then you just kind of like whatever. And then maybe turn a little bit of a blind eye to the bank account or the credit score or whatever. And 
you know, as we get older and older, there's more and more things you have to pay for, or if you want a house or if you want a car, if you want to do another business venture, a lot of shame is wrapped up into it. And I, I think it's great that you have this group that can, everyone can be like, hi. <laughs> I, I, I made a mistake. Yeah. Okay, yeah. welcome. <laughs> or I didn't know, or I didn't have the support, or I thought I could do it. And I don't, you know, what do I do now? And I, it's nice. It's not like if, you know, if egos can be put aside and, and trusting everybody in the room, you know, like, and, and having that honesty of like, all right, like I need to look at this relationship. I need to look at this budget and like get real with it. Yeah. And there's, there's always ground rules and there's, you know, ground rules about, you know, people's stories and privacy and, I know that a group, just like group fitness isn't for everyone. So I'm a personal trainer. You know, I work either one-on-one or in a group. I do the same with these money conversations because some people really aren't ready to have that conversation in a group. And then on the other hand, some people aren't ready to have that conversation Mm. Mm one-on-one. So either way, there's an option. And either way, it's something that you can wrap your head around just a little bit more, but I love talking about money. I love talking about money. I love talking about, you know, those, those things that maybe make uh, my older relatives squirm a little bit when I'm so open and honest and asking other people how much money they make. And that's really important to me. Well, I think that's a big thing that a lot of people got caught up in of not asking, well, because it's, you know, company policy, because they don't want you to know what your neighbor is making, because they might be making more or less than you. And they, they don't want that kind of backlash, right? It's private, it's private information to them. But I agree with you. If you don't ask, you don't know. And if you don't know, and you think, oh, well, this is just like market rate or whatever, the industry rate, well, okay, I'm not, then how concerned are you with the industry rate? Like, do do you feel that, you know, you can earn more or whatever it is. And I know I go through that with pricing certain workshops, you know, how much money do I need to make in order to make it pay for travel, pay, like make it worth the time I'm taking away from my home and my Monday to Friday job and all of that. Yeah. And also, you know, how do we, capture the people that we really want to get in these workshops without isolating them. You know, of course we could charge more. Of course we could charge more. I think we do a disservice if we don't ask, if if we're in a place where we can ask for more. And if we don't, we're setting up the rest of the, in rest of whatever industry or circle we're in, not for failure, but for definitely a lower bar. Yes. yes. Bar jokes. Bar jokes. Hashtag bar jokes. (laughs) And it's like, oh, well, who who are you helping and who are you paving the way if we're all just like, that's okay. Like I, to me, the, okay. I live in New York city. Drop-in classes are no joke. They're really expensive. I get it. It's an expensive city, but I get that my bosses also need to pay the rent. I also need to pay the teachers, like there's things that need to happen at that studio to keep it functioning and successful. 
Now I hear of other studios and this is not judgment. It's definitely, you know, like price out the market around you, but with class packages and the discounts we give are paying like $12 or $10 a class. And I'm like, what <laughs> you spent? Yeah, that's pretty unheard of. You, you, and I'm, I'm talking like San Diego. I'm not even talking about like middle America. And I'm like, floored floored I'm like who does that help who does that help right because that's not setting really that's not setting up the teachers for success and that's not setting up the studio for success and then the people who are coming there may not have a studio home if you can't maintain that for them and you can't maintain a safe and healthy environment the quality of teacher if you're constantly cycling through people and it's you're undercutting your own business. It's like, wow, most of us have gone to college at some point or the other, whether it was for movement or not movement or whatever it was. So not only are you undermining your own skills and your own degree of proof of knowledge, right? Like here I spent four years learning things and I paid all this money. And then I got my trainings, you know, and like, personal training is not cheap. Like going through your accreditation, it's not cheap stuff. And then to not ask for more or, or at least like price it out where it's like, this is the bottom number, or this is the number that has to happen. This many people need to come into the room. Can this happen? Is this sustainable? You know, can it grow from there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um I think we talked about this last time, but I've I've done some modeling and I've done some jobs where I am the only woman of color in the room. Mm-hmm. And I actually straight up, I have a, a friend now and she would testify to this. I straight up looked her in the eye and I said, "How much are they paying you?" She was doing the same job as me. And she goes, what? And I'm like, hey, how much are they paying you? And she's like, oh, they're paying me X. And I said, okay, they're also paying me X. But it's important for me to know as a woman and then additionally as a woman of color that our salaries or our compensation is equivalent because I don't want to be invited somewhere where I'm being undercut. And that's the same thing you said with not knowing in a corporate setting what someone's making. I don't want to not know and be sitting there for 10 years not knowing that my neighbor is making like double what I'm making or something. And we can argue that there's maybe different skills involved, but for this job, we were doing the exact same thing. For sure. And then also you can argue, okay, I am the only one that is of color. You need me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's Are the, you featuring me more? Maybe we can negotiate. You know what I mean? Like it puts you in a different like mindset of knowing. And I think knowledge is power and it can be the ultimate resource. The more like, well, yeah. Okay. I'm going to stick with that for today. Let's say, you know, knowledge is power. And I do think the more, you know, the more, you know, right. And like, again, you can't possibly know everything and be an expert on everything. But I do think 
it is an invaluable resource to gather information, to research, to data collect. I mean, we have people literally, and I know one day this bubble is going to burst, collecting our data online and selling it. We Mm -hmm. are a very, very valuable commodity just with our searching on the web and behaviors on the internet. So it's like, you're getting hired for something like, okay, I'm of a lot of value. I'm bringing something to the table. And I also take that further of how I am as an employee where I do take an extra step of keeping certain things up to a certain standard because I want to bring more value to it and I want to be valued even more. Yes. And you, I think people do a better job when they know that that communication is going on and that communication is open because just like I was happy to trade my time for the bar classes and whatever, you're trading your time no matter what, you know, so you might as well make it worth your while and find out what you're worth before that. And worth has a lot of things we can dive into, but just basically, you know, if you want to keep it very basic, what your monetary worth is to this business or this service or this industry. 100%. And my new favorite phrase is opportunity costs. And so if you're doing something, you're committing to something, you're, you could potentially, you know, the idea of that is like, you could potentially be losing out on another opportunity. So say you have an hour drive to your bar studio, you teach an hour and then you have an hour drive home. Is yeah you know, is that amount of money you're making in that one hour worth it? Or would you like to teach two hours? So then you're kind of evening out or is it like, so even thinking about like how many studios are you teaching at? How far are you driving? Because during that driving time, you're not earning anything. Exactly. And time away, you're taking whatever away, like there's trade-offs. And I I love the idea of opportunity costs to evaluate situations like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everyone, no matter what industry you're in, has that kind of ability to evaluate and um, really almost a responsibility to evaluate if you do have the time on your hands. Because like you said, undercutting and underserving, undercutting will lead to underserving, rather. Like if you, if you are selling yourself short, you're going to find yourself a little resentful. And then you're going to end up not being the best teacher or server or babysitter that you can be. And nobody wants um, an unhappy babysitter. No. I will tell you that. No. And, and we are in a little bit of the service industry, but even any job, we're serving something. We're serving some community. We're, and I love that idea of like, well, if I can do more or be better means I can give more and yes absolutely fun to give we all have a ton of knowledge and a ton of stories that we can share but when we're not having our basic needs met by our financial you know structures of financial struggles and time then you don't have the time to really go back and share with people luckily we're here you know we're able to have this conversation because we both have the luxury of a little bit of time. Yes, absolutely. And I kind of want to know from you, what does earning, you know, since we're having the money talk, 
what does earning more money bring to your life that helps you serve a bigger purpose? Yeah. Um, I'm always excited at the prospect of earning money and then turning around and using that um, from the perspective of being a bar teacher and a teacher in general, um, which is the role that I'm really playing the most now, a teacher. Um, I think we use our bodies and we use our energy so much that we need the time to recharge and making or being compensated for that and being compensated enough to have the half an hour nap or the, you know, or the lift ride home. So I don't have to walk to regional rail. Um, those kinds of things are important for me bringing my best self to my class mm. on a bigger, on a larger scale compensation wise, I am able to do more free or low cost things so that I can engage with an audience that maybe isn't in that place right now. Like I said, doing a community class, doing a pop-up, doing a special, all of those things come from me being taken care of and then turning around and taking care of other people. Love it. Love, love, love. Um, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> I want to hear from you where I, again, me and you can talk and this is recording. I promise I'm not going to trick you into a third two hour conversation with me, okay. uh, <laughs> but like, we'll just keep it. Yeah. We'll make sure the next few parts of this conversation are recorded just for everybody's sanity. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but I want to hear, from you. So I always do a segment called, um, um, I always do a segment called Heard at the Bar. And I want to hear from you like a myth or maybe a truth or something, especially because you came to bar at a place where you're like, what the heck is this? It's hard. And then you stuck with it. Um, you know, I'd love to hear from your perspective something that you've heard that is true or untrue that you'd either like to myth bust or uh, ring the bell of truth for? Okay, so this is going to seem so trivial, but it's really funny as a teacher and a student of bar. Um, I posted the other day and I continue to talk about, but the idea of, for real, in bar class, picking up weights that are too heavy for you. <laughs> and it could, be, it could be related to real life, right? We all, oftentimes we pick up weights that are much too heavy for us, or we choose those weights when there are weights that are lighter. Um, and so I am a two pound weight user. No weight above two pounds will ever be seen on my mat. And I think just uh, heard at the bar was yesterday, <laughs> yesterday um a new person grabbed four pound weights and oh. um and then I just heard that really breathy oh my god <laughs> like part, part of the way through arms which you know in my class is the very beginning of class and I'm just like girl you gotta let it go <laughs> you gotta let it go and that is so true and like I'm not against lifting heavy weights go for it whatever we've had this conversation I'm like cool you get a half pound oh, wait actually I'm not using that like <laughs> I like always joke that my arms are for show they're sculpted but they can't actually function um but it, it's so true like 
the little lighter weights, they give you the endurance, but it's always, I, this happened recently too. There was just like a holiday and I get all my teachers that come in on the holiday Mondays and these girls grab those four pounds, five pounds. And I was like, you may use those for biceps, but I'm going to tell you, we're going for like 10 minutes straight. I'm not, I'm not diminishing your strength. Right. But you know, you're not, it doesn't count for a week just because you got double the weight. It's like extra credit. It is what it is. It's for you. I was like, you don't get a prize at the end. (laughs) So definitely not. And I think that that could be, that's translatable to the entirety of a bar class or fitness class in general. And my whole philosophy of coming as you are, no extra points for for being able to fold over and touch your toes, no extra points for um, holding four pound weights and really like truly grinding your teeth down for however long we're in arms and no extra points for super high super high legs like you know we all have different length legs we all have different strengths but I want you to come back I don't want you to burn out (laughs) so I would rather you come as you are be completely yourself and continue to improve upon whoever that person is than be someone else and go home and want to die yeah absolutely I mean I I love a good tagline and my tagline for that is to feel the burn without burning out and that goes both mentally and physically like you're gonna feel it it's gonna burn but you don't I want you the long haul I want you here all the time I want you here for years like totally and I love it's such a common one I know. I know. I I didn't want to be too uh, basic, but it just had, it has to be said all the time forever and ever. It hasn't been said on the podcast yet. So I will take it, take it. And I know the bar teachers at home are like nodding their head. And there's then the other contingency that's like, girls, pick up those five pounds, like (laughs) shaking their heads at us. So I nod to you five pounders and I nod to you zero pounders. Absolutely. That's me. Me on a me on the end of the week. The end of the week, I'm like doing those air weights. <laughs> the air weight. I love resist to the air. Imagine. Oh, that's when all the imagery cues start coming out. Imagine you have 30 pound weights. Like what? Great. I can totally imagine that and not suffer and be able to blow dry my hair tomorrow. <laughs> yes, it is truly the bar way, the bar teacher way. Imaginary weights. Uh, yeah, it's so great. It's like, yeah, I see you squatting. Awesome. I did too. You can do 10 more. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, evil. Um, that brings me to my last question. What's in your R, your BAR? Oh, my BAR. Yeah. We talked about that and I was like, Hmm, bar, like drinks, bar, like food. Oh, I'll take a snack bar. Yeah, because honestly, I, um, not to sound like the oldest late 20 something person ever, but I am the worst when it comes to drinking. Like I had a wine last night and I thought of myself as a very fancy woman. Like, um, I was like, look at me, had a whole wine, didn't get a headache today. So, um, what's in my bar bar. So my on the go bar, I do always have to have like a snack in my pocket. So I'm going to go with that kind of bar and number one, like, or top three would have to be an RX bar, you know, shout out to them, even though they're chewy. 
They get me through the day. Chewy. I like it. Um, I do love a good Lara bar. That's my like. Do they still directly advertise to women? I believe they came out, or was that the Luna Bar? That was the Luna Bar. But the Lara Bar is basically like, to me, it feels like dessert. Um, And that's why it like makes my heart sing a little bit when I just need that extra kick of like the date flavor that's in it. Um, And then, yeah, last but not least, not in the most boring way, but just a regular, any anywhere pickup kind of granola e-bar um because sometimes you just need that bar to get you through life and maybe you don't have time to hit whole foods but you're hitting a wawa or a 7-eleven and you gotta just throw the random generic bar in your bag so never turning down a generic bar ever no and i i I ate so many cliff bars in college that I can never eat one again. Let's just put it I feel that. I don't I don't eat them. I I don't even eat that many bars because I'm trying to, you know, really nourish myself. I'm a teacher. I need more than a bar. But <laughs> but overall, I, I I do love a good quick snack to keep me going through my I, day. I love it. I know. There's been nothing in my BAR for a long time. So, I'm with you on the grandma status. I'm like I'll have the red one, like, <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love that. I'm, I'm definitely going to keep the snack bar going. If some, someone doesn't want to say something like, oh, just water, you know, like I'm that girl. I really just drink water and tea and um, don't like kombucha. Like, I, but I'm a boring person when it comes to that. But my snack bar, whew, I, we can go on for days. As you know, with all of my Philadelphia shout out snacks, snack out snacks on snacks well i'll keep the snack bar in there i will keep that as an option i love it (laughs) i'm glad to have added that to the the list (laughs) so good well lauren thank you so much for joining me today and can you tell the listeners where to find and follow you yeah thanks so much for having me you can follow me at lauren lavelle fitness and it's lauren l-a-u-r-e-n and then lavelle is l-e-a-v-e-l-l fitness on instagram and my website is on everything so it's laurenlavellefitness.com it's pretty easy to transfer over you know if you want to do some pinterest and twitter we can all connect through all the ways um But yeah, Instagram is number one, questions, comments, concerns, hit me up. Amazing. And then to know when you're next, you know, and you'll be posting future events. So if anyone's on the East Coast and wants to join in live or do virtual sessions with you, this is your gal. She's got your back. She's in the arena with you, teaching classes, multiple revenue streams, doing it up. So go. You can't see me. I'm like doing a little party dance. I absolutely. Yeah. So it's good. It's good. I think, and as we were saying before, you know, asking for feedback, somebody that has been in both worlds and being able to workshop it out and build a community with it. um, I hope everyone goes to check you out. So thank you again. Yes. Thanks so much for including me. And thank you so much for uh, talking to me for 72 hours because we've done this many times. That's true. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you'd like to write into the podcast, send an email to info at barvariations.com. You can follow us all over social media at barvariations. 
You can also visit the website at www.barvariations.com where you will find show notes, archive episodes, and more. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.